Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. We don't even need a sermon after that. Nobody say amen on that one, though, okay? Um, how are we doing this morning? All right. Still a little bit uh, turkeyed up, I think. Uh, still eating leftovers. Anybody? Anybody? Stretch that as long as you can, right? Um, so we, we have the candle, uh, as, as Kathy, Kathy did such a great job reminding us, it's a candle that symbolizes hope. Um, and, and so we, we want to talk about hope, but before we get there, um, we, we also, because we have a couple of scenes in our scriptures today that, that sort of paint a picture to threaten hopelessness. And some of the world can do that, right? Got my chains out. I just feel chained um, to hopelessness. We're just like, it's always going to be like this. I'm always going to feel alone or I'm always going to hurt. Life circumstances will do this, right? The, the um, circumstances uh, sometimes, as we'll see today, are our own doing, right? Like, just be honest. Like, we, we blew it, but it doesn't make it hurt any less, right? The situations that we've caused, our sin, our shame. Some situations are maybe uh, our fault and maybe partly our fault, but either way, you get to a point where you're like, how did it go so wrong? Like threaten that fog of hopelessness, threatening at our, at our doorstep. Then there's circumstances in life that we didn't cause. They're just in a broken, sinful world, disease, sickness, hurts that, that really there's nothing that seems that can be done but somebody to just try to comfort us. Um, I, as a pastor, I found that, I don't know why this is, maybe they're usually on a hill, but some of the coldest places in the world are gravesides. As we look at an urn or a stone or a casket and family um, with tears in their eyes, just that they don't want to feel hopeless, but it's threatening. It's threatening. And so the question um, that I want us to to really uh, look at as we look at this theme of hope is where do we turn? Because the temptation for us is to, to continue to turn to the things that already have let us down to get our hope. And what we want to see, truly see, is that the hope that we eternally can fix our eyes on is this Jesus who saves, is this Emmanuel who's with us even now. Isn't that awesome? Well, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, his spirit is with us right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us, that you would save us, and Lord, I am asking you, as Bob's already prayed so well, I just kind of echo that prayer, that you would bring hope um, today to the weary, hope to those who are struggling, where that hopelessness is, is really kind of bearing down on their life, circumstances. And Lord, I also pray for those who may be going through a good season but don't know it, but there's around the corner something that will threaten that in their life, that they will remember our hope is in you. Lord, let us celebrate your word together today um, to be drawn closer to you, Lord Jesus. And it's in his precious and holy name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Um, so the, the theme for this Advent, and, and a lot of you, because we ran out, uh, took the, the devotionals that we had out there. We printed more out if you didn't get one and you want um, one of those. They're just pretty simple, and they really lead you each week into what we're going to be talking about. And, and, and the, the theme is just how the birth of Christ has fulfilled uh, uh, prophecies and promises made long ago. 
Uh, and, and so we're actually not going to start, we're going to end with the prophecy that, that Kathy already read for us, but we're actually going to start, we'll put it on the screen, but if you want to follow along, it's in Jeremiah 31, really important chapter for Christians, even though it's an Old Testament, really important. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to look at this together. So if you, if you uh, want to turn there, if you, you, you know, don't have to, but if you want to, you can use one of our Bibles if you don't have one. Um, if you don't own a Bible, take that. Uh, you'll see it in front of you, one of those black uh, hardbound Bibles. Uh, if you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, bring it, give it to them. We want to be generous with God's word. Um, so speaking of generosity, I just want to really uh, thank all of you and, and so many others in our church family who have just been so generous. We've asked a lot of you, and um, we're going to continue to, uh, but we, we uh, um, you know, the, the Haven kids uh, for Thanksgiving, man, they have Chef Boyardee coming out of their ears because of you, all right? I know you didn't really want to buy that bad food, but you did, and it came in, right? Um, and, and we uh, uh, also uh, were just able to purchase brand new, tons of brand new uh, preschool recess equipment in our local preschool. They had all kinds of shabby equipment. You paid for that. Uh, they are blown away by your generosity. Um, the veteran stuff that, that we'll be giving all month, you saw the video, that's just already been coming in. We've had to unload that like three times already um, and, and, and just so thankful for that. Uh, also coming next, uh, coming already this week, most of them are gone. If you were in the uh, commons, you might have seen on the tree in there, uh, the angel trees. We just right now have the gift card ones. Um, love to see them all go. I think there might be a few left. You can just buy a gift card and bring it back. There's a, a sign-up list. And Wednesday coming, and we're only going to have about a week or so, uh, so it's kind of a tight squeeze. Uh, the angel trees where we buy gifts, a lot of you have done that in the past, will be on there. So even if you want to stop midweek and grab one, if you're like, hey, I'm out and about, you can do that or grab one next weekend. So, whew, that's a lot, right? Um, but it's because you've been so generous. I just know uh, I don't even have to worry about it. Um, we're, uh, even in tough times, going to continue to show the love of Christ to our community, uh, especially to those who, who don't have uh, a lot um, because we ultimately want them to see the gospel of who Jesus is. So as we um, get to this, this prophecy, like even if you don't have a lot of church background, it's, it's probably something you've heard because it's a Christmas text or it's quoted as we'll see in, in Matthew. Um, and and uh, it, it's a, a context though is so essential to understanding it. So just wanted to give that to you. The prophet Jeremiah, remember he's called the weeping prophet. That's not a nickname you want, right? Uh, he wrote a book called Lamentations about his life. No, just, you know, not, not uh, a lot of what you would consider success in ministry, right? He, he, he was faithful to God, but no one ever listened to him, right? And he for years had pr said to God's people, because they were rebellious and they were in sin, and, and he just said, stop sinning. And he said it way more eloquently than that, but that's essentially his message, and they just wouldn't listen. They were, had a idolatry. They were turned away from God, and so finally when you get to chapter 31, um, Babylon, the superpower, had already come, and God used Babylon and judgment on his people because they refused to turn back. And the judgment is exile to Babylon. And so it's in that context of exile and all of those circumstances that they had created, but still hopeless scene, right? Hopeless scene. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Do I even have to tell you that that looks hopeless right there? Right, if you're a mom or a parent, like that's, 
That's tough stuff. Rachel um, is uh, long gone at this point, right? She was Jacob's wife. But up to Jeremiah's day, by then, Rachel had become a symbol of the mother of all of God's people. But even more, a symbol of a sorrowful mother. If you know Rachel's story, she was desperate to have kids, but she was barren for a lot of her life. She couldn't have kids. But God opened her womb, and she had Joseph. Awesome, right? Except Joseph is the one who got sold into slavery into Egypt. So then, Rachel has one more child, Benjamin, pride of Jacob. But she never got a chance to experience that because she died in childbirth. And so she became the symbol of a sorrowful, just can't comfort mother. So uh, uh, God, through, through Jeremiah, uses this context to say, Ramah, by the way, is five miles north of Jerusalem. It was a holding tank before you went on to exile. This is the place where people who were staying back had to pretty much say goodbye to people they loved. This is where people said goodbye to their hometown and, and, and what they believed was God because he's in the temple. And, and they just, it's time to go. And, and it's just weeping and mourning. And so she pictures, or he pictures that with Rachel saying, saying it's, it's, it's not, I'm not able to be comforted at all. It's too hopeless. It's too broken. And so that picture is what Matthew uses. You probably know the story of the Magi. They come from the east. They want to meet the king of the Jews where they believe has been born. But they go to Jerusalem and they talk to this King Herod. He's a real nice guy, King Herod. The grandfather of the guy from Acts, even worse, right? He's killed his own children. He's, I don't need to give you his resume. It's not good. And, and so they go to him, and they're like, hey, we're looking for the king of Jews. He's like, really? Oh, who's that? Where was he be born? The prophets say probably Jeru- uh, uh, Bethlehem. And so the Magi are going to go try to find him. And Herod says, hey, I want to worship him too. Right. Come back and tell me where he is when you find him. So the Magi did find him, but they were warned in a dream, don't go back to crazy King Herod. Get out of here. So they leave town. And so we pick up that action from Matthew when Herod finds that out. So then when Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious. Because that's what Herod does. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under. You got babies in your life? Just think about that. Another scene of hopelessness. It says, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So he figured, well, the king of the Jews, who was Jesus, right? He, he can't be older than two, so let's just, you know, kill all the kids two years, all the male children two years on or under, right? Yeah, that's a good plan. Now, Bethlehem was a pretty small place. We estimation only about 20 kids. I say only. If you were there, if it was your neighbor, your family, your friends, how hopeless, right? And again, this is now a circumstance, unlike Rama, where you didn't create this. This is just the results of a broken, sinful world that a horrible, power-hungry man like Herod would kill your child because of his own power in defense of it. And so you're left there going, what do we do? What do we do? Why would this happen, right? And so Matthew says, he says that this then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, Weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. So Matthew used the picture of the, hope, hope, the hopelessness of the exile, and he, and he paints that picture of Bethlehem, same thing, God's people, where are you, God? Why are we enduring this? So what do they do? Like, how, how, how do you deal with such scenes of hopelessness? Well, I want to bring you back to Jeremiah. 
This is, interestingly, the very next verse following that one of bitter tears and complete hopelessness. Look what the Lord says. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord. This means it's a command, right? This is something they'll really listen to. And he says, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. They won't be in exile forever. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. So it's like this scene of utter hopelessness that they had created, and now the Lord says, yeah, 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 but there's hope. And, and later in, in chapter 31, I won't read it to you, but it's the New Covenant passage, right? And so, so by the time Matthew's day, throughout those generations, they, they looked at this as a prophecy of someone who would come, the Messiah, from the line of David, who would establish a new covenant, who would bring with him hope. And so Matthew says, remember that prophecy and the utter hopelessness of Ramah? Right? And looking towards, right, now in this horrible scene in Bethlehem, that king of the Jews, that Messiah was born. And guess what? He's not killed. He escaped. And he brought with him hope. So it's in the midst of hopelessness that we look to him who brings hope. And so the, 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 the first kind of place I want to pause, though, with you is when life threatens hopelessness. These accounts of Ramah and, and Bethlehem, they're kind of like our lives, right? Like, like uh, the, the, there's circumstances that we've created, right? And, and, and the gospel is a beautiful thing, and we preach it all the time. But one of the hardest parts of that, that, that people too often want to skip over, is our sin. Like the circumstances of our life that we've created, our, our rage, our outbursts of wrath, our selfishness, our pride, our arrogance, our lack of compassion, our, right, doing things we shouldn't do, not doing things that we should do. Right, all of these things, they, they, they alienate us from God. Right, that, that that's ultimately what Babylon was. It was an exile, an, a physical exile for them, but our sin is a spiritual exile from the holiness and glory of God. And when you come face to face with that, you either fall on your knees and look to that person who can bring you hope, or you ignore it, you numb the pain. You, you just can't deal with it. And I don't know if you've known this. There's, there's a lot of people out there, they're acting utterly hopeless because they don't know this God who's given them hope and the things that they have gone to have been stripped away. And they're no longer giving them that what they think is hope. And so the, sometimes it's our, our circumstances, but also Bethlehem shows us this broken world. Sometimes you didn't ask for it. You didn't do it, Right? You've suffered abuse, maybe, emotional or verbal or physical or sexual. You didn't, you didn't do that. You didn't ask for that. Why? Why do you have to f uh, suffer that pain? You, you, you're sick or someone you are. You're dealing with grief. Like, you didn't ask for that. That's, just, that's all because of the permeation of sin and the brokenness of God's perfect creation. And we experience the fall every day, and it's hard and there's some days where it's hard to get out of bed. There's some days where you're like that fog of hopelessness. It's like right here. It's so thick. And so when that happens, I, I want uh, uh, to, to ask you th this question. right? When, when life threatens hopelessness, whatever that circumstance might be, who will you turn to for hope? As I said, well, well, if we don't want to face it and deal with it, which is a lot of us, we numb it. Binge another show on Netflix, drink more, smoke more, 
right? Get another uh, relationship, something, just, just to keep your mind off of it. And yet, the unrest is still there. And here's what, what, what we do is I, I mentioned in, in the open, right? And I, and I actually thought of this kind of dumb illustration, but that's what I do, right? That's what I'm known for. Um, and, and I want you to imagine you're at the top of a, of a, of a staircase, and you've got to get to the bottom, and you need each stair. And you're, you're confident you're walking down, and then you get to this one, and crack, and you fall, and you just hold on. And it kind of bends <coughs> like this. And so you're like, man, I need this. I need to get down. So you take this broken stair and you kind of wedge it. It's basically what I would do. It's about my handiwork, right? And then you go back up and you're like, all right, I'm going to try. And you're like, a little bit more trepidatious now because you already fell once. And you step on this thing again and it's rotten in the middle. <coughs> and you fall through water before I actually fall. And you fall through, right? And you're hanging there. What do you do? And a lot of times our answer is, I know this is going to work this time. Piece it together. Wedge it in. It's rotten. It's broken. i got to get down. But you're kind of like, I know it's going to work this time. You know it's not. But you're gonna, you don't know what else to do. And you fall right through. And so that dumb illustration is... <laughs> A perfect illustration for what we do often when we are fearing, feeling hopeless. As the very things that have let us down, we just go more and more to, thinking it will work. You've been betrayed, right, by somebody. This new relationship, all my hopes and dreams are in you. That's heavy. Like, I love marriage, and I'm not saying that because my wife's here, I promise. Almost 25 years. And, and I love her, and I love our marriage, and I believe the Bible says he who finds a, a wife finds a good thing, right? But imagine how cruel I would be if I put all my hope into Heather. She has to fulfill all my hopes. Man, she can't do what only God can do. But we put that on people. Sometimes we put it on our kids. Oh, my goodness. I got two kids. Life's hard enough. Right? Me on their back saying, come on, fulfill all my hopes. I screwed up, but you can do it. We don't say that, but sometimes that's how we act. A job. If I just get a better job, more money in my bank account. Stop me if you've heard me preach this about a hundred times, right? You're going to hear it about a thousand more as long as I'm here. Because we're constantly bent to saying, this time, new relationship, more money. Man, how many rich, miserable people you got to meet to realize money's not going to do it? Get rich. Praise God for his glory. But don't put your hope in it. Don't put your hope in the stuff. Don't put your hope in, in your comforts and your pleasure. Oh, man, the ads that we see, whether it's on YouTube or if you still actually have cable, right? What do they all do? If you have this, it will fulfill all of your hopes. And you always know when you're watching the oldie station because it starts coming up with, like, you know, diapers for adults and stuff like that, you know? But it's like we're just sitting there, and if you have two nickels to rub together, you will buy it because I need it because I'm desperate. And so the question is, where do you turn? And, 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 and the answer I want you to see is to not turn to those things. There's plenty of good things God will give you. I hope he gives you many blessings in this life. They're from him. As long as they're not sinful, enjoy them. I'm just saying, don't put your hope in them. They will fail you. I, I want, when we see where, where hope comes from, let's look again what Kathy already read from Isaiah 7. Um, and and again, very familiar, right? All you had to do was go to, Christmas, go to church around Christmas time. You've heard these verses. But the context again. 
The prophet Isaiah, um, at this time, was, was, was prophesying to uh, a king named Ahaz. And Ahaz was in a pickle. You ever been in a pickle before? I'm not talking about the nice deli pickles you're eating, you know. I'm talking like, what do I do? And what happened was um, Assyria was a world power. It was before Babylon, right? And they were taking over everybody. And it was a big threat. So he's got Assyria here. And he's the ruler in Jerusalem. And then up over here is what's being formed, a coalition of the northern tribes and Syria. Don't get confused. There's no A in this one. And they didn't give him an option. They came to Ahaz and they said, hey, you're going to join us against Assyria or we're coming to conquer you. What do I do? And so Isaiah, with the mouthpiece of the Lord, to King Ahaz, goes to him. And this, I'm just going to summarize it, right? And it's not in your Bibles, right? But this is basically what I, how I see it. It's just like, Ahaz, Ahaz, I know you're in trouble. I know you're in a pickle. I know it's hard. I know you don't really see it. I know that, but look at me. Don't look over there. Don't look over there. You keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the Lord. In fact, I am willing to uh, do any sign you want. I'll move heaven and earth so you will trust me and me alone, Ahaz. And Ahaz said, nah, I don't think so. And he used religious speak. Oh, don't you love that against God? <laughs> oh, that wouldn't be very faithful for me to ask for a sign. And that sounds, if you read it on the surface, like, oh, that sounds like a man of faith. But what had really happened, and the Lord knew in his heart, he had already decided to turn to Assyria. If you can't beat the bully, join him, I guess. That was his philosophy. And, and he did, and it did not work out well at all. So in that, because the Lord was disgusted with his lack of faith, he never asked for a sign. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You didn't ask for it? Here it is. It's going to be a sign of judgment on Ahaz and his house from the line of David but it's going to be a sign of hope for a future ruler in the line of David. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that means God with us, God present with us. So this passage became known, similar to our Jeremiah passage, as a, as a hope for the future. Yes, Ahab, Ahab screwed it up, but there's going to come someone else from the line of David, and he's going to bring hope where there wasn't any hope and so um, that's fulfilled Matthew tells us here the birth of Jesus Christ it took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means, literally, the Lord saves. And so, um, you, you know, I know it's a familiar, familiar passage, but if no one's ever explained it to you, in their culture, they had this betrothal period. It wasn't just like an engagement period, right? It was an actual contract. Um, you weren't married yet, so you didn't live together and you did not consummate it sexually. But you were promised, and if you were to break that contract, you needed to actually divorce. So that's why they're not married, but they're betrothed. And they're in the middle of that, right? And Joseph sees that Mary is pregnant. And he knows it ain't him. 
And so any red-blooded human being would look at that and think, she betrayed me. The loss, the betrayal, I mean, how horrible. He's in a pickle, isn't he? What do I do? He's a godly man. And so he, he, he doesn't want to do what he could do is shame Mary publicly, but he really needs to follow the law and divorce her. And so that's what he decides to do when this angel comes, right? And this reminds me of Ahaz. It, it's a pickle. It's a, what do I do? And I, I guess I got to do this. And it's not a prophet. It's an angel. And he's like, Joseph, look at, look at the Lord. I know it's hard. I know it doesn't make sense. Hey, you and I have had centuries to digest this. Virgin birth and all of that, right? Joseph is going, really? He's like, look at the Lord. Don't look over there. Don't look over there. Look at me. This child is mine. Name him Jesus, for he's going to save you, not from Assyria or from Babylon or from Rome, from your sin, from the exile of your own actions. Jesus. And, and so he, he, he later on, he names him Jesus, and that was very significant. A couple of reasons. One, because he's going to save us. That's, that's what his name means. But also, when a father uh, named his son, that wasn't his biological son, that was an official adoption. So Joseph is now saying, he's in my family. So he's from the line of David, which he needed to be. Mary was too, by the way. But so was Joseph, and he makes it official. By naming him, that would have been done. And so uh, Matthew then, this is where the whole prophecy comes in. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And unlike Ahaz, Joseph got up and trusted the Lord alone. A humble servant, I'm going to trust you even in this hopeless situation. With all the whispering and the judgment and the scorn and all the, I, I, I got to raise God's son, whatever that's going to be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust you. And so what we, I want us to land, because remember, hopelessness for all these circumstances can, can threaten us. But here's, here's where I want you to land. A couple places. Number one, Jesus, which means the Lord saves, is our hope. Right? The brokenness of this world has infected us with sin and we have ex been exiled from God. Right? As I mentioned earlier, our sin, our, like, like, I know that's hard sometimes to face, but it's so important because if we don't face our sin, what do we need a Savior for? From what? From your exile. Holy God will not entertain sin. It needs to be dealt with. And so this Jesus was born. And yes, he grew up and he never sinned. And yes, he taught awesome things and he drove demons out, which is cool, right? And he, and, and he healed disease and sickness. But the greatest thing he did, his mission, was to go humble himself even to death on a cross where he was scorned and beaten and mocked. He was stripped and he was put a crown of thorns and nailed to that cross. But the worst thing that happened there when darkness descended my God, my God why have you forsaken me in that darkness was the deepest place of hopelessness because it was an exile and abandonment from God that Jesus suffered so you don't have to you see in our sin we're going to suffer that hopelessness of, of exile from God but Jesus in that place he said it is finished it's paid in full can't out-sin it. 
The whole world can say your sin can never be paid for. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm big enough. I paid it in full. There is hope in the Lord who will save. Have you trusted in him? Maybe you've never done that. I'm just inviting you to do that. Stop trusting in yourself. It's broken planks all day long. Trust in the Lord who will save. I know a lot of you, so I know a lot of you have already trusted him. But here's the thing. We need to preach this to ourselves every single day. Every day, it's a threat to, to turn to our own devices, to our own good works. You need to every day say, he is the hope, the Lord who saves. No one else, right? And so, so I want you to land there, but I also lastly want you to land here. He's also Emmanuel, God with us. It's our hope. I don't know if you, you remember this from the Old Testament, but God, after he, he, he saves um, the, the, the Israelites from Egypt, he goes with them and he's present with them, right? It's a cloud by day and fire by night. He dwells in a tabernacle. Like, you and I, that's no big deal. But to them, this is huge. God is dwelling with his people. He says, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. That was huge. That was amazing, right? But then God... <laughs> He got fed up with all their grumbling and complaining and rebelliousness. Church people were different back then, right? And he said to Moses, I'm still going to send you the promised land, but I'm going to have an angel go with you. I'm done. Do you remember Moses' answer? Oh, it's beautiful. He said, Lord, I don't care all that stuff of the promised land. If you're not there, I'm not going. I want you. We want you. If we don't have your presence, we have nothing. Emmanuel, God with us. I want that to be your prayer. Lord Jesus, you are with us and I would rather be in your presence in the valley than by myself on the mountaintop because without you I will fall but with you I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. Emmanuel, the Lord God is with us, promised to the end of the age. He will be with us. He will not forsake us. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And, and, and why I want to land there is because so many of us, when we're in that fog where I don't see it, right, like, like you want to turn to something else. You want to turn to somewhere else or you just want to numb the pain because, because if you don't see it. I'm just, let your, you just, you, you hear the Lord saying, look at me. Don't look over there. Look at me. Look at me, Ahaz. Look at me, Joseph. Look at me, Jamie. Fill your name in. Look at me. Trust me. Trust me. I'm with you in this. I always will be. And we will get through this to eternity. I am your hope. Fix your eyes on Emmanuel. That's the hope that is Christmas. Whatever you're going through today, whatever you might go through tomorrow, you just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. May your prayer be like Moses and say, I don't know what else to do, but I will not stop looking to you. I want us to pray together. So if you can, bow and, and close your eyes. And I just want to give you some space. Just give you some space to whatever the Lord might be doing in your life. Lord, I know there's, you know far better than me, Lord, but I, I know from my very limited perspective, there's a lot of struggle in this room. This world is a hard place, as beautiful as it is, and you're redeeming it, Lord, but we're in that already not yet, and the brokenness of grief is here, the brokenness 
of sorrow, of loneliness, rebellion, of being hurt, abuse, our own sin, our own shame. God, you know every last drop of it. And Lord, I pray that you would preach that gospel right to the hearts of everyone here. And if someone for the first time just needs to say yes in faith to Christ, that they would, you give them the courage to just believe, to just look to you, Jesus. You died in their place. You took that hopelessness. Let them see that. Block out the voice of the enemy who's trying to tell them they need something else or someone else. They need you. Let them see that, Lord, please. And Lord, for Christians in the room that, that we see that again, preach that to our heart again. You are the Lord of hope. You are the Lord who saves. And for whatever struggles are there, circumstances are there, Oh, would you help us to feel your presence, Emmanuel. Jesus, we want more of your presence. We don't want your stuff without you. We don't want the promised land without you. We don't want heaven without you. We don't want anything without you. Your presence is enough. Let that be our prayer every day. Oh, Spirit, work in us that our heart would just yearn for more of you, Jesus. We praise your holy and precious name, Jesus who saves, Emmanuel who is with us, amen. Let's stand and sing together.